Well, we're going to continue uh, in the Gospel of Matthew in the fifth chapter at this time. Uh, we're going to be beginning with the 13th verse this morning, but uh, just uh, so that you'll be aware, this is a continuation of the Beatitudes. It's kind of wrapping up, and it's a transition from the Beatitudes into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. It's almost like the Beatitudes and what he says here are the thesis sentence, along one, multiple sentences, but this is the thesis of what he is going to be unpacking in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. You will see references back in different ways to the Beatitudes as we continue on through this sermon. Uh, he's just going to kind of make things much clearer as to what our lives in Christ should be like. Very different than what the scribes and the Pharisees were laying out for the people that that life should be like. In fact, uh, uh, well, anyway, let's just go ahead and read through here now, beginning with the 13th verse. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city cannot, uh, or a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of God. We give thanks for it in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We pray, Lord, that you'll quicken these words that we've just read now. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I was thinking about this, a story came to mind about a young lady that uh, needed some spending money, and she didn't know what else to do, so she just decided that she was going to be uh, just kind of a handyman. And so uh, she just uh, went out, and uh, she knocked on the first door that she came to, and uh, a gentleman came to the door, and it just so happens this gentleman was, uh, he was wanting to paint his uh, porch. He had a long porch on the back of the house, and he wanted to get it painted, but he just didn't want to spend a lot of money for it, and he had all the stuff back there to do it, but he just really wasn't looking forward to doing it himself. And so when this lady came and knocked on the door, uh, she said, I'm just uh, out, hire myself out as a handyman. Do you have any odd jobs around here I could do? He said, why, yes, I do. He said, well, what's that? He said, well, around back, I have a porch that needs painting. How much will you charge me to paint that porch? And he said, now, all the, I've got all the equipment that you need. It's back there you know, in, in, in the garage. So if you would just go back there and take a look, tell me how much you'd charge for this. So she goes around, she comes right back around and said, I'll do that for $50. Oh, 
Oh, really? Okay, you got a deal. He thought this is just a, a bargain. So uh, he uh, he said, like I said, everything's around there. You just get it. Now, his wife overheard him, and she chided him for taking advantage of her. He said, hey, that's what she said she'd do it for. That's what I'm going to pay her. And she was only gone about 45 minutes, and she came back around, knocked on the door, and said, I'm done. He said, oh, really? Yeah, you're fast. Said, well, it just wasn't that big job. So she said, where's my $50? And uh, so she handed him his, he handed her her $50. And as she was walking away, she said, and by the way, that wasn't a porch. It was a Ferrari. Okay. Now, the thing is, you can get something just a little wrong, and it can be all wrong, can't it? Porch, Porsche, they sound a lot alike. Sometimes when people look at scripture and when they look at what uh, the church is saying, they hear and they listen. They hear something than what they're really supposed to be hearing. And this is kind of what Jesus is trying to warn us about uh, here. He says, now, whenever he's talking about us being salt and light, remember, this is a continuation of what has gone on before. We have gone through a progression that I've gone through with you several times now of realizing that we need God, that we can't handle life on our own. We're separated from him. And yet God has made a way through Jesus for us to have a wonderful relationship with him. And so we realize we need him We receive what he has done for us. We grieve our sin. We move on from it. And we move on into being those people that really we were created to be and that deep inside we have been longing to be. But we're now set free to be those people. And then we move on. And as we live out of this, we live lives that are so different that it makes people uncomfortable and we'll wind up being persecuted. We'll wind up being ridiculed. We will wind up rocking the boat for people and they're not going to like it. But he says, through all of this, you are blessed. And that word blessed is such a deep and meaningful word because ultimately it means you're going to be at peace. Not just any kind of peace, not just the absence of turmoil, but at peace in the very presence of your creator. A peace that uh, affects your relationship to everything going on around you so that you can even be at peace deep in your heart when you are being persecuted, when things aren't going the way that you think that they should. A peace Jesus will say later on, passes all understanding. That's what's tied up in that word, blessed. And it's a peace, once it's been shed abroad in your heart, you never want to lose. I can remember the night that uh, I uh, realized that I had been on the wrong track and the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and put me on the right track. And I realized that the two things that were missing from my life were, first of all, the cross 
appropriating it personally for the forgiveness of my sin. And the other thing was the lordship of Jesus for living my life because I had expected God just to bless my life as I lived it. And uh, many people do look on God as some sort of super Santa Claus that you just uh, you just uh, throw up your request and he's supposed to throw down the answers. And that's not the way it works. But that, that night I realized I had been missing so much and I was in his presence. And it's just like John Wesley, my heart was strangely warmed and I never wanted to be out of his presence again. But at that point in time, I knew that the life I was going to be living from that moment on was going to be extremely different from the life that I'd lived up to this point. And uh, I was really concerned that people may have thought that I had just gone off my rocker because they were going to see an instantaneous change because I was no longer living for me. I was living for him. And deep down, I'd already, I always knew the things I was doing wrong. And I knew most of the things I needed to start doing right. But like I say, it was going to be so out of character for me from that moment on that I was kind of concerned that uh, they might put me away in a mental institution just because they thought I had some sort of a breakdown or something. But as I was praying and in the presence of the Lord that night, I decided, okay, if I wind up in a mental institution because of my commitment to you, if I wind up committed because I'm committed, then that will be just fine. Because if I'm there for you, that means you will be there with me. And if you're there with me, that'll be the best place for me to be. Because wherever uh, I am and you are, that's where I want to be. And so I was able that night to go ahead and say, okay, from this moment on, I am yours. Well, uh, it didn't happen that way. Uh, things got a lot better. They were different. But there, were, you see, there was this instantaneous difference in my life. And yet that instantaneous difference caused other things to start happening. Because, you see, we are creatures of habit and we've done things certain ways. And uh, it takes a while for the Lord to even call some things that we're doing wrong to our attention. And this is what uh, uh, in the Methodist church we call moving on to perfection. Yes, you become his immediately and your course in life changes. But from that moment on, we're not living for us and our glory. We're living for him and his glory. And we're going to find things that have to be different. And the Lord very gently moves us on. The best analogy I've ever seen, I heard from a missionary that at one time was in Africa. He came across an old African goldsmith who was smelting gold under a big shade tree. He had a coal or a charcoal fire there and he would pump up the bellows and the fire would get white hot. He had a cauldron of molten gold there, and he would watch the gold, and dross would come to the top. And he would take this ladle, 
and he would skim that dross off and cast it aside. Then he'd pump up the fire again. More dross would come up and he would skim it off and cast it aside. And so then he, uh, the missionary walked up to him and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm purifying this gold. The missionary looked around. He saw no essay equipment, no scales, no anything. And so he asked him, now, how are you going to know when this gold is pure? And as the goldsmith skimmed some more dross off and cast it aside, he looked down at the top of the molten gold and he said, when I can see my image clearly in it. And that's what the Lord does with us. He'll pump up the fire sometime, won't he? And when he does, many times it's so the dross will come to the surface where it's clear to us. And then when we turn it over to him, he skims it off and he casts it aside. And so as we move on, as we say in the Methodist church, move on to perfection, they should see less and less of our old selves and more and more of the Lord through us. Well, Jesus is talking to us, to all of us who have started on that path when he says, you are the salt of the earth. You. Notice he says you. He doesn't say your imitation of somebody else. He doesn't say, why don't you be like your brother? Why don't you be like your sister? He doesn't say anything like that, does he? He says you are the salt of the earth. And so who are the salt of the earth? Those who are the Lord's and who are moving on with him in this life. Whenever I, uh, uh, whenever I, I got to that point where I wanted to do what the Lord wanted me to do, I was very successful in the insurance uh, industry in Houston. And uh, I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm a success in the eyes of the world, but in my heart, I'm a failure. And in life, really, I'm a failure because I haven't been doing what you want me to do. What do you want me to do? And he said, well, you ought to be a preacher. I said, oh, no, man, not that. Preachers are sissies. They're wimps. They're guys that can't make it in the real world. They had all these bad images of preachers. And I had them from real people, let's face it. And uh, he knew who I was thinking about. And he said, well, don't. I don't want you to be like those guys. And then he said something that is for not just for me. It's for every one of you. What I want you to do is I want you to be the best you you can be for me. That's what he wants you to be. You see, he thinks that you are neat. He thinks that you are fantastic. Not your uh, copy of somebody else. Not your trying to become somebody else. When he created you, he created a fantastic person. It's just that it's gotten all covered up with all sorts of stuff. But deep down, the you, the real you, he thinks is just great. And so uh, what we get to do, and he gives us the chance to start over and to be the real us for him.
That's what he calls us to be. Not to live up to just one set of rules or regulations or go through some sort of religious rigmarole, but to just very naturally be you for him. Now, along the way, many people uh, get sidetracked in this. I remember Keith Miller talking about whenever he he just kind of pulled his car over the side of the road and gave his life to the Lord. And then he started trying to become a good Christian. And he noticed that all of the other Christian friends that he had, they had prayer time and, and Bible study time. And it was always early in the morning. And so even though he wasn't really a morning person, he decided that he needed to start getting up early and uh, reading his Bible and praying so he could be like the guys at the office. So he uh, uh, wound up, uh, he got up that first morning. As he got out of bed, he heard his wife just kind of groan like, I hope you're happy you woke me up and uh, I'm not going to be able to go back to sleep now. And uh, he went in and he sat down and he opened up his Bible. And he started reading and he heard the pitter-patter of little feet down the hall. He continued reading, and then he feels a tap on his knee. What you doing, Daddy? Here's his little girl. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm studying the Bible. What's that book? Well, this book's the Bible. Well, what, you need, you go on now so I can study the Bible. By the time that, uh, he was going off to work and dressed, his little girl was crying on his wife's shoulder. Why is daddy being so mean? And his wife's reply was, because he's trying to be a good Christian so he can impress the guys at the office. Well, you see, he was trying to be somebody he was not. What he was trying to do wasn't fitting his schedule. Now, if he was really being the Lord's in that spot, he would have taken that teaching moment. He'd have made time for his little girl. Instead of trying to shove her off to one side so he can get back to what he's supposed to do to be a good Christian. You see, if he was being the Lord's, he'd have been considerate and concerned about that little girl and the fact that he needed to be doing something for her. Later, he discovered that his time for Bible study was another time altogether. But you see, we begin where we are and the Lord then takes us where he wants us to be. And uh, there's no need you trying to figure it out. You just be his moment by moment, day by day. And as you're doing that, then you will be the salt of the earth. And the thing is about salt is, uh, I, I realized this this past week as I was looking. You know, in scripture, in the Old Testament, there was no offering, there was no grain offering given without salt. There was no sin offering offered without salt. The offering was not complete if there wasn't some salt along with it. Isn't that amazing? And I, that intrigued me. I said, why salt? You know, and uh, salt was a symbol and a sign of a perpetual covenant. It reminded the people that what they were doing, see, grain offerings were offerings of thanksgiving and worship. 
And so their, their offerings of thanksgiving and worship were not complete without salt. Salt was a reminder that they had made a deal with God, that he would be their God and they would be his people. And so what we, they were being reminded of was you are a people that have been set apart by me. You are a people who have committed yourselves to me. You are a holy people. And so you can extrapolate from that, that offerings, good deeds done apart from holiness are not worth anything. You see what he says? He says, if the salt has lost its saltiness, its savor, the Scots use the word tang. I like that. If the salt has lost its tang, if it's not tangy anymore, what's it good for? He says, it's not good for anything but to be cast out and thrown and trampled underfoot. Now, another thing about salt that's lost its savor in the salt back then, uh, it could, the salty part could leach out over a period of time. But you'd be wound, you'd wind up with something that still is just basically like dirt, but it was dirt that was still a little salty. So you couldn't just cast it out anywhere because wherever you threw it, it would kill whatever would grow there. So you couldn't throw it out in your yard or you wouldn't have any grass. You had to, but, but see, the unsalty salt was deadly. It kept things from growing. As I prayed about that and thought about it this past week, all of a sudden it hit me. So much of mainline denominations, religious activity these days is busyness and no saltiness. There's no encouragement for people to be God's people. It's all about doing good stuff for other people, which is fine and good. But when you read most mainline denominations, newsletters and all, the Methodist church included, you may as well be reading a newsletter from the Red Cross because there's no mention of God, really. There's no mention of holiness. There's no mention of living a consecrated life for God. Yes, lots of good things being done, wonderful things being done, but they're just keeping people alive a little longer. They're not offering them eternal life. And very little concern is given for that. So I just, uh, that just hit me, salt and light. And we are to be salt. And so the way that point, whenever you are living that life that God has for you to live, you're going to have there's going to be a tang to your life. You're going to be different and you're going to make a difference. Salt preserves. Salt makes things better. Light offers hope. Light shows a place to safety. It shows direction. And so as you live your life as salt and light, you are going to make a difference for the good in this world. You know, we all put out ripples, you might say, in our lives. And those ripples are either good or they're not. Those ripples 
are either making a difference for the good in this world or not. And I just want to ask you as I close today, what sort of ripples have been going out from your life? It may be just one harsh word here, but that harsh word is just like a rock being thrown in a pond, and it affects so much more. It affects a relationship. It affects the people that person is going to become in contact with. It affects so much. The really neat thing is that even though the ripples that you may have been putting out have been bad ripples, hurt, uh, painful ripples in the past, you do not have to continue to be that sort of a, of a ripple maker in the world anymore. But even better than that, what about the ripples you've already caused? What about the pain you've already inflicted? What about the courses in life you've already set other people on? That bothered me for a long time. I'll tell you more about it some other time. But just let me tell you this. When God redeems you, he redeems your past as well. And he can help you to undo a lot of the bad ripples that have gone out. And even as you try to, and with his guidance and direction, to uh, stop putting out bad ripples and put out good ripples, he will give you guidance and direction so that even those people that maybe you've hurt in the past will see the difference and you'll wind up making a difference for the good in this world instead of the bad. So I just leave this with you and ask you today, what sort of ripples have you been putting out? What sort of ripples should you put out? Are there any ripples that have emanated from your life before that need to be uh redeemed by the Lord because he will guide you and direct you and help you to even turn the bad before into good. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.